right, we're on. We're on. Okay, hello. Welcome to Background Noise. This is a show about podcasters and how podcasters get podcasts made. Uh, I am Michael Magnano. I am your host. I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Anchor. We make it really easy to make podcasts. I also, uh, for the first time ever, am joined by a co-host. Her name is Emmy Hintz. She's the lead product designer at Anchor. She's my colleague and teammate, and I'm very excited to have her here with me today. Uh, Emmy, Excited to be here, Michael. Very excited. (laughs) I am thrilled to be here with our guest for this episode, Liam Spradlin, design advocate at Google, designer, all-around creative person, and most importantly for this podcast, a podcaster. Welcome, Liam. Thank you. For those of you listening, we're actually we're in a really unique setting at the moment. We are we are recording this from a former prison chapel in a hotel that used to be a prison in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, we're here for Google's Design Conference Span, uh, and we thought we'd take a, a moment to speak to Liam. So, Liam, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor to be able to interview you. Yeah, thank you both. Uh, we recorded a podcast together earlier today for Design Notes, so it's fun to be on the opposite end of the table now. <laughs> That's been like my recent move. Like I'll do a podcast interview and then I'll be like, oh, can I interview you too? We do like this, inter- uh, this podcast swap thing. Other side of the mic. Ooh, that's a good name for yeah. a podcast. Yeah. Um, Liam, so Emmy and I are somewhat familiar with your work um, and you know, definitely want to spend most of this interview talking about your podcast. But before we get into that, uh, would love to hear uh, a little bit about your history and your work and your career uh, in your own words. Sure. Uh, So I've done a lot of different stuff from type design to UX design to a little bit of illustration to blogging. Um, And writing for a blog is actually how I got introduced to the Android community, which is how I started focusing on Android design. Uh, From there, I started freelancing. Eventually, I moved to New York to work with uh, essentially an agency called Touch Lab. Uh, And from there, I came to Google. And Touch Lab, they're like one of the biggest agencies for Android apps specifically, right? They right. build a ton yeah. of Android apps. Yeah, um, they focus th- really heavily on Android. Like some super, I don't know, do they share their clients? I feel like they have like really well-known apps have come out of that that agency. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that I worked on while I was there, um, we helped out with the Tim Hortons app. Uh, we worked on ClassPass Um yeah, a lot of a lot of really interesting and varied projects. What in, oh, oh, go ahead. What interests you about Android so much? I'm curious, like why uh, you went into that over. I feel like iOS is like the the most popular, you know, mobile design. And I'm always curious. Like I also went into Android, so I'm curious, like what your why you chose that. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, uh, Android was the first smartphone that I had, so I got an Evo 4G, which mm-hmm. was like super exciting at the time. So it was kind of just. Uh, it was what I had. And back in those days, uh, the scene for kind of like hacking your phone and installing ROMs and custom kernels and all of that stuff was like uh, very alive. And I was doing all of that stuff. So I just like kind of nerded out over it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started to focus more on design, it was just that like I already had experience with this platform. I knew it was possible on it, uh, the different kinds of customi- customizations that you could make. Um, and writing for a blog, Android Police, uh, tapped me into that community, which introduced me to a lot of independent developers who I then 
went on to work with on apps. That's awesome. I, I didn't realize you wrote for Android Police. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you're like very much a part of the Android ecosystem and community, which which seems, to, from my perspective at least, to be very, very close-knit. Um, the developers, the journalists, Google, um, it's, it's really a, a tight-knit community, and it's really cool. I think um, it seems very supportive and uh, a lot of people sharing knowledge and information, even material design, right, which we're, we're all here to celebrate in some way. Mm -hmm. um, it's very much, um, well, they talked about it this morning, right? It, it's very much about uh, not providing designers and engineers with um, necessar necessarily a, a blueprint or saying, hey, you have to design this way, but more ideas that the community can adopt and, and evolve on their own. Is that, is that correct? Right, yeah, I would say it's an inherently intended to be collaborative. It's awesome. Very cool. So, all right. So you're at touch lab and you, you make the move to Google. Mm -hmm. How did, how did that go down? So I should probably back up, uh, before I joined touch lab, I actually had applied to Google before. Mm. And, uh, the feedback from that interview, uh, which I was lucky to get was essentially that my speaking skills were like not where they needed to be for an advocate who obviously spends a lot of time talking to the public and to other designers. Uh, which was totally fair feedback. So I went back home and I was like, well, I'll show them. I'll mm -hmm. like start speaking at conferences and stuff. I knew about Android. I worked on a lot of content for Android Police, obviously. So I had a lot of stuff I could talk about in a presentation. So I started looking around for conferences and I came across DroidCon, which is like the biggest community organized Android conference in the world. And it happens globally. There was one happening in New York uh, that fall. And so I applied to do a talk there. And when I was doing that, I came across a job listing uh, at Touch Lab for a mobile designer focusing on Android. And I was like, hey, that's me. So I might as well just submit it, you know, whatever. I didn't expect anything to happen. Um, and I got a message back like later that day. So, so before I knew it, I was like interviewing for Touch Lab. Wow. Um, and like I said, we worked on a ton of really cool stuff there. Uh, a lot of varied projects that really challenged me um, in a lot of ways. Uh, but coming to Google was always kind of a longer term goal. Um, so eventually I gave it another shot. And by this point, I had spoken at uh, a lot of conferences. I had made a lot of videos. I kept writing. Um, so I was just in a better position to, uh, to come on at that time. That's awesome. That's, that's like a really yeah. cool, inspiring story that like you had this mission of this thing you wanted to achieve and you just kind of chipped away at it. Um, very, very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like I need to do that. That's a great way. To, <laughs> well, I think it's a great way to practice, you know, speaking about design. And I think, is that how you kind of got into doing your podcast? Or I guess we'll get into that later in the show. Yeah, yeah. Bef before we get into the podcast, because I want to spend a lot of time there, um, tell us a bit about your role um, you're a design advocate. I think, I think Emmy and I probably have a sense of what that means, but for those listening that may not, what is a design advocate? What do you do? Um, were you always a design advocate? Has your role sort of evolved? We'd love to hear about your time at Google. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, design, I get this question all the time, uh, because nobody knows what a design advocate really is. And I think the reason for that is because there is no fixed definition of it. I mean, on one hand, the simple way to put it is that we advocate for design and designers. And when I say we advocate for design, I mean we go and work with external companies and external designers to improve their user experience and um, how their products are designed. But then we advocate for designers by then collecting feedback from that community and bringing it back 
to Google and to Material to make improvements on the system. So at a base level, that's what I'm doing. Um, there are a lot of other things that go along with it just because it's a very kind of flexible and self-defined role. So uh, there are internal products at Google that I work on um, in the capacity of a designer. Uh, there are also other projects like Design Notes that are kind of self-directed that I work on just to serve the broader purpose of engaging with the design community and uh, kind of providing leadership there. Uh, so yeah, there's not really a good short answer to it, but... It sounds like a pretty awesome, awesome job. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, so the podcast. So, so you're a design advocate at Google, um, and at some point, well, I only learned this uh, a little while ago, three, around three years ago, you launched a podcast for mm -hmm. Google called Design Notes. Is that, is that right? Or no, so, you started podcasting before Design Notes? Sorry, um, I'm just going to shut up and let you tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I started Design Notes when I was a Touch Lab um, oh. a couple of years ago. Um, and essentially, at the time, I was an editor at Android Police still. So I spent a lot of time writing about design-related topics for Android Police. Like, that was kind of my, like, beat, I guess. Um, and in writing about the design of apps, especially like Google apps, I loved like getting into detail and looking at kind of the small decisions that were being made and kind of trying to hash out like the rationale of things and stuff like that. And I thought like, if I could talk to the people who were actually making those things and understand the rationale from their perspective and hear like what they're excited about versus the things that I pick up on, that that would be really interesting. So honestly, the show came out of that and just my desire to learn about what other people were working on and uh, kind of what things about design excited them. And then, you know, if I can record that conversation, then everyone else can hear it too and learn the same things that I'm learning. That's awesome. So I always say that like, I'm not really a podcast person. Like I didn't really listen to a lot of podcasts before I started making a podcast. I just kind of did it because it seemed like the right way to like get the information out there. And it, what's interesting to me, the first the thing that I keep thinking about is it feels like um, it feels like there's a common thread here. Um, you know, you apply to Google. They said, work on your speaking. You started doing public speaking. And then next, at some point, came the podcast. Was the podcast at all inspired by the public speaking you were doing? Uh, I think it was just a medium that I wanted to explore. And probably as I became more comfortable with speaking, uh, I became more open to the concept. Not to say that I was confident in speaking before I started the podcast, because that's certainly not the case. <laughs> um, but I think that it was facilitated by my practice in public speaking. Got it. And this was about three years ago, you said? Um, two or three years ago, yeah. So, the, I mean, the, what's what's interesting to me about that is two or three years ago, it, was, it, was, it wasn't nearly as like cool or trendy to launch a podcast as, as it is now. Um, and it certainly, uh, you know, <laughs> this is this is not an indirect advertisement for Anchor, but it certainly was probably much more difficult back then. Um, I'd love to hear about what. So you decide you want to start a podcast, then what? Like, how do you, how do you put it all together? Because it's actually not that simple right. to put it together. Yeah, I mean, I I had seen other people posting podcasts on SoundCloud, so like I knew that that was an option, and that's how I ended up distributing the first like the 16 episodes, I think, of Design Notes that came out before I joined Google. Um, 
so SoundCloud like gives you a feed that you can then put into other uh, other apps. So I knew that that was one piece. The other piece was like doing the interviews. So how do you do that? Um, I knew that there were all these people I wanted to talk to. Not all of them were in New York. I didn't really have a good space to record in. Um, the office that I was working in at the time uh, had like pretty poor acoustics. And because I didn't have a good mic, like I pretty much just recorded from my apartment all the time. Um, in person always? Uh, no, it was it was almost exclusively remote. Oh, wow. Uh, How did you do that? Skype? I Yeah, I would set up a Hangouts call basically. Um, and I would always ask the guest, like, do you have access to an external mic? Because mm -hmm. if yes, then chances are that it's like better than your internal mic. Um, eventually, I ended up getting like uh, a blue snowball. Yeah. And I would like mail that out to the guest if they didn't oh, have wow. one. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Um, so I would, on my end, I would record my audio with QuickTime and I would ask them to do the same and pray that it worked out. <laughs> and then after the show, I would set up a shared folder in Drive and have them just drop it in there. So then I had the audio, then I had to edit it. So, uh, Audacity is free. So I mm -hmm. downloaded that. <laughs> um, it's not that easy to use, at least for me. It's, it's definitely like on the more technical yeah. side of audio editing. And I also feel like at the time it wasn't optimized for retina. So like it didn't look great on my computer either. Mm -hmm. I, I and think it, I think it still isn't. Yeah. yeah I was <laughs> going to say, I was going to say, um, that's how I saw that. You can't, not, not to, not to talk negatively about audacity. It's actually an amazing product. I yeah. think like everyone at anchor uses it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a really capable tool. Um, I do wish that you could scroll sideways. Mm. Yeah. You mean um, with the, um, with like a trackpad? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to go down and drag the, yeah. the scroll bar. So I started learning how to do that. I learned like some very basic things. Um, n not a great editor. I'm not a great editor. <laughs> uh, and it was really tough because I feel like the biggest thing for me was that when you're editing audio, you can't listen to music, <laughs> which I listen to music constantly under everything that I'm doing. Um, and it was just tough to make the right cuts. And frankly, I didn't. My episodes ended up being like over an hour long, maybe two hours, depending on who it was, because I just love to listen to people talk about what they're doing. So to me, it was very interesting. To everyone else, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, But then there are all these other factors of starting a podcast that I hadn't thought about, like um, I needed to record some kind of intro and like, I needed music and like an identity for it and things like that. So the identity came pretty easily because I'm a very visual designer. So I came up with a system pretty quickly. Um, the music was like, oh my God, I have no idea what to do. So I, I pulled some stock music at first. It sounded really bad. Um, then I hired someone to just make like a really quick, uh, kind of audio score, I guess. Um, it also was not great. It was like a component of the show that only existed because it had to, hmm. not because I like felt strongly about it or knew what I was doing. Um, and similarly for the intro stuff, like I would set up a mic like in my closet and attempt to get good audio in there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it was very, it was very like patched together, but I was still proud of it. Like I felt like the content was really good. Um, and then when I came to Google and like proposed the idea of like starting it there, um, 
it seemed like it aligned really well with some goals that Google Design had, and it seemed like a natural home for a show like that. So we started producing it with the content studio at Google, who has really great mics, um, budget, <laughs> a studio. There were people on the team, um, another designer who was at, at Google Design at the time that I started, uh, Victor Person, um, he also like did some music composition on the side. So he helped me make the theme music, which I'm like super proud of. And I, I think sounds great. It's really <laughs> awesome. We've gotten emails to the show asking like, what is that song? Like, where can I download it? <laughs> um, and also just a great team of editors uh, like Amber and Bryn and Barbara who are able to look at something, distill kind of like what the story is that's in there and help bring it out. Uh, and that has been like so transformative, not only for the show, but also the way that I view the content and how I think about content in other areas as well. One connection I'm making now is that it almost feels like the podcast is like an audio version of your role at Google, right? You talk to designers, you advocate for design, obviously, but the other thing that you mentioned is you also hear and you learn about designers and then that sort of filters its way back into right. Google design. Do you view it that way or is it just like more of a marketing effort or a creative outlet for, for you? Um, do you view it as an extension of your role? I view it as an extension of my role to some extent, but I also find some sense of liberation in the fact that uh, Design Notes is very focused on learning about other disciplines outside of tech. Right. So we can talk to fashion designers and furniture designers and people who make video games um, and like have these conversations that not only teach us something else about like another medium, but also the ways in which maybe we can apply it back to our own work. Like, how do you, how do you think about something? Uh, like my interview with Bennett Foddy was very focused on um, using frustration as a design pattern and kind of uh, in UX, we're taught to avoid friction and frustration at all costs, but maybe sometimes something more richly expressive like that can be good for users or good for people who are experiencing the thing you're making. Um, so just kind of like finding different perspectives. That's really cool. Did it always start out as, as people or designers or artists outside of tech, or did you kind of initially start with more um, like Android designers and then kind of grow it over time or what was the plan for the people or the guests that you had on your show? Uh, the ambition was always to have people from different disciplines. Um, I think a lot of the kind of first batch of episodes were tech related because that's, those are kind of the people that I had access to and also the people who said yes when I wrote to them. Right. <laughs> um, and there were a lot of people that said no, <laughs> which is fair. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I'm just some guy like <laughs> asking you to be on my show, uh, which is like very, like I said, like patchwork and, and unstructured. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it just started there because that's kind of the people that I knew and had access to. Now, how do you decide who you're going to ask to be a guest? Do you kind of have, you change up the medium every once in a while? Do you have specific people that you admire that you ask to be on the show or what do you do now? It's really a mix. Um, there are definitely people who I've reached out to specifically because their work is inspiring or I just want to know more about what they're doing. Um, there are also times where we try to find someone in a specific medium. And then there are also times, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to be at a place where there are a lot of people around and a lot of people who are very connected to the design community. Um, 
outside of the bubble that we're in. Yeah. Uh, so they're able to introduce me to more people as well. That's awesome. That's great. I, I bet your hit rate on yeses um, to interview requests is, is way higher now. I'm sure like somebody gets a request to do an interview for a podcast from Google. And I mean, yeah. I bet you like, do people come, I bet you people travel to come to the Google office in New York to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, having an at google.com email address <laughs> definitely doesn't hurt. <laughs> totally. So it's really cool to me that, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning about you that it seems like you have all of these creative interests, right? You're a designer, um, you write, um, we saw you downstairs earlier taking a ton of photographs, you podcast. Um, it seems like you're, you're involved with many different types of creative outlets. Do you view podcasting as a creative outlet? Is it more of just a, um, a means of communication for you? Uh, where does it kind of fit into your, I think, uh, I think those are the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. For me. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I think, um, I think of everything as a form of expression, right? Uh, there's something that I want to communicate with the show and there's something that I want to express. And I think those are the same thing. Um, and I hope that comes across. I hope that, uh, as clinical as an interview can get, there's still something kind of interpretive underneath that, that I want to reveal. I agree. I like, I, I personally consider it art. You know, I, I feel like art sometimes has a, um, it can have different definitions according to different people. But I, I think of podcasters as creators, as artists, just like mm -hmm. I think of people who paint or take photos or write. Um, that's I think, cool. I think anything that is created is art. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I think podcasting is is very interesting because it's very raw in that way that it is conversation and it's what's happening in that moment and obviously editing and stuff like that happens but it really is a pure form of of creativity you know what I mean so yeah and I'm I'm very fascinated with that idea that I'm very fascinated with that idea of the rawness of it of 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 uh like an authentic expression you know so and I feel like having a conversation is like uh, a very quick way to get at that. Totally. Like, like an easier yeah. way to get to that. Yeah. It's a, it is, I actually think we talked a little bit about this in, in your podcast. It is, it feels like to me, at least the, one of the purest forms of, I guess, let's call it digital communication at this point, right? Mm -hmm. It's, there's the least amount to, to your point about quickness. It's, it's got the least amount of friction between the thought being in your brain and into someone else's brain. Right. Um, and so I agree. And that's kind of what I love about it, especially now when, you know, obviously we're all staring at screens all day and communicating with our thumbs. Right. Um, it does feel, it does feel pure as a form of expression. Um, so what's next for the podcast? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I will say that we, recently did the first remote interview that I've done since we started the podcast at Google, which is hard to believe because we're on episode 14 now and we have even more interviews in, in the backlog. Um, so I think that opens up a lot of possibilities. Um, I've been thinking more about the video format mm -hmm. that we've tried um, and how we can refine or change that to make it a more... Um, communicative or or expressive or useful format um 
And I'm also thinking a lot about the written piece that goes along with it too, because mm. I think, I think, like I said earlier, part of the editing process for us is figuring out like what kind of unearthing that expression that I talked about earlier, like what is in there that we can like really draw out and give to people. Um, like one example is uh, the very first episode of, of this, this batch of design notes. The post Google. Right. Yeah. Uh, the post-Google era <laughs> um, was with a design studio, Talbot & Yoon, uh, based in New York. And um, they have a really unique perspective because they come from the world of architecture. Uh, so, for instance, they designed a soap dish that looks really cool. Like, you look at it and you're like, oh, that's a cool soap dish. It's very geometric. It has There's something going on there. And then in the interview, they explain that like that particular piece is based off of um, like a waffle slab that's a, an architectural component that's like this huge thing that exists in the ceiling of like a famous uh, building somewhere. Mm. And they they like to play with scale and bring these like architectural concepts and components and scale them down so that they can fit in your home, so you can. Uh, Basically, their point was like, as architects, you often can't surround yourself with the things you create, mm. um, but you can if they're small enough. That's <laughs> right. awesome. So they got into furniture and object design in order to like, kind of explore that. That's so really cool. So knowing that, you look at the soap dish on their website, and you're like, oh, there's a story here, and it's actually very interesting, and there's something unseen, like something that you wouldn't know unless you heard that from them. Right. So that's something that we can like distill down and provide to people. Like you can look at something and recontextualize it, it in this way and then it becomes something new. Yeah. So it's just finding that and finding different ways to communicate that based on how people are ready to consume it. That's awesome. I, um, I, I won't name names in case I'm not allowed to share this, but I recently talked to a, a very well-known artist um, who I was really fortunate to meet and, and very lucky. And um, sim what I just thought of when you said that, similarly, he was explaining the meaning behind one of his pieces in particular that I think is not known. And uh, I think people have a, a certain uh, idea of what it's supposed to mean. And, and now that he's told me this, like it's completely flipped my perspective. It sounds like a similar thing. It's very, very cool. Yeah, I think as designers, it's awesome to get other people's perspective because we have to be so in tune to so many different people's minds and, you know, the way they think and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure you're gaining a ton of different kind of perspective from, yeah. from your show just by talking to all these different um, individuals and changing changing what you usually would see on the computer and thinking about it maybe in more of a, you know, real life um, instance. What uh, What podcast do you listen to? Oh, wow. I know you said you uh, didn't when you started the podcast, yeah. but I'm assuming you do now. Yeah. Okay. Um, I listen to like a lot of varied podcasts, like not that many design podcasts, mm -hmm. um, surprisingly, although I'm subscribed to a lot. I don't listen to that many regularly. Um, let's open up my Spotify. Oh, <laughs> oh you listen on Spotify. I see. Has that has that <laughs> has that been your uh, podcast player of choice? For I a actually while, use or? a lot. I use Spotify. I'm also a Play Music subscriber. Um, I also have Pocket Casts. Mm -hmm. I have Anchor, obviously. What? Um, why? Why the switching around? Why not just one? 
I think because some podcasts aren't available on all platforms. Mm. Um, that's the main reason. Um, there's a show that I listen to called Ono, oh Ross and Carrie, which is um, like an investigative show about fringe science and spirituality. Um, uh, I listen to Method, of course, which is Google Design's other podcast. Uh, there's one, there's a really popular one called Song Exploder. Yeah. Um, just because podcast. I'm obsessed with music. So I are like... you a musician, by the way? No. Okay. That, it feels like that's the, like, one of the, uh, the only creative outlets like you haven't you haven't taken on yet i feel yeah, like you should i i would love to I'll, <laughs> if i find the time um you're pretty busy <laughs> there's there's one that someone just introduced me to recently which is really funny called my dad wrote a porno i've heard of this <laughs> is it is it good it's hilarious yeah it's, it's true right yeah it's, it's one of the hosts dad uh dad wrote like an erotica series <sighs> and the podcast is them reading one chapter an episode and like that's amazing. Just roasting it, basically. The most uncomfortable thing. Ever. I love it. Yeah. I love uncomfortable things like that. Um, all right. Here, here, here's a question that you, I, I hope you're willing to answer. Is there a type of podcast that you wish existed? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think I would say a podcast about anything that I'm interested in. Yeah. Like, which is kind of a cop out. <laughs> um, no, it's fair. Without saying like the ideas that I also have oh, yeah. for other don't, podcasts. Don't share them. You got to start them. <laughs> Might you start other podcasts? Yes. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap, this has been amazing, by the way. I just want to, for the three of us, I want to take a moment and and say, look around in this space that we're in. It's changed since we got in here. It's like really dark. Mm -hmm. um, again, we're in a we're in a former prison chapel, um, and it is dark in here now. <laughs> and it's lit by one light on the table that we're recording on. Uh, this for me, this definitely goes down as the most unique location for recording a podcast. Definitely. It's yeah, awesome. I, I love this light, by the way. I wish the listeners could see it. Yeah. Um, how did you, sorry, this is like, we probably should have talked about this forever ago, sure. but remind me again how you got this location. I mean, I know you're staying in this hotel, but like, how did you figure, how did you find and nail down this location for the recording? It's brilliant. So um, it's actually probably going to be pretty disappointing <laughs> because oh, no. we, we didn't exactly pick it on purpose, I would say. Um I think initially we were looking for a space at the venue, but I think noise and also just space because there's a lot going on over there. So next we were looking at the hotel and we wanted to book like meeting rooms uh, to do the recording. Um, so we did. The meeting room that we booked was downstairs and uh, you know, on the first level is where the restaurant is mm -hmm. and they're playing music. So in the room you could hear this kind of like relentless techno beat <laughs> playing would, would in the background. Would have been a great background for, uh, for a podcast. Yeah. So the next available location was this chapel. And actually, the reason that it's so dark in here, besides the fact that it, the sun goes down at 5 o'clock in Helsinki <laughs> in November, um, is that uh, the lights overhead and these, these like beautiful hanging lights and the speaker system throughout the chapel are on the same circuit. And when the speakers are on, they're producing this like faint buzzing noise <laughs> that was just maddening and also not great for audio. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we turned that off and it got pretty dark and we asked them to like bring a lamp and that's how we got this that's lamp. This light. Which, if I can describe it, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a brass soup can with like um, a molded glass globe on top and a small light bulb inside it's the, 
the glass almost reminds me of like an old school like tumbler that you'd find yeah. like yeah. at your grandmother's yeah, house yeah. like yeah. an old rocks glass yeah. or something yeah um well the space is brilliant i actually think it's a good move that you didn't put the lights on because this i mean i, I i'm never gonna forget this in this setting yeah. <laughs> personally i also feel like it makes it more feel more like a fun conversation we're just hanging out versus like yeah. pressure of anything you know and as it gets darker i feel like we should be telling ghost stories I, honestly i was thinking the same thing yeah well, Liam, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for, for sharing the time with us. And for those of you listening, go check out Design Notes. Um, it is an awesome podcast, uh, like Liam mentioned, with a ton of different types of designers from many different disciplines. Um, it's really incredible. And uh, make sure you subscribe. Yeah. Um, anything else, Emmy or Liam? No, Liam. Th thank you. That was awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm very inspired by your podcast. Yeah. I'm going to be checking out some soap dishes. Um, maybe. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I will say if anybody goes and subscribes to Design Notes, um, we're also interested in feedback. You can send it to designplusnotes at google.com. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Send feedback. All right. Thanks so much, Liam. Thank you. Uh, I, wait. Thanks so much, Liam. Thank you. See ya. <laughs> I said Lian. <laughs> I'll edit that out. Awesome. Cool. This was so great. There you have it, folks. Liam Spradlin, design advocate at Google, host of Design Notes. Make sure you check it out. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Background Noise. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, um, Radio Public, Anchor, everywhere. And if you like it, please do us a favor and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. And last but not least, I have a guest for this outro who's here to explain to you the product that was used to create this podcast. His name is Nir, and he is my Anchor co-founder. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no worries. So tell us about Anchor. Anchor is the best way to make a podcast. In the past, you wanted to make a podcast, there was a million reasons why you wouldn't ever start. It was hard to make, it was hard to edit, it was hard to upload, you had to pay for hosting. The whole thing was a nightmare. Until now. Pay for hosting? Yeah. What, yeah. Explain that to Ooh, me. Ooh, this... This, this is a thing. This is a thing. Today, in 2018, you wouldn't pay to host any type of content on the internet except for audio. But if you want to host a podcast on the internet, you got to pay somebody. You got to pay somebody a lot of money. Not on Anchor, though? Not on Anchor. Okay. Anchor is free. Anchor gives you all the tools you need end-to-end -to, -end to create, distribute, host, uh, market, and monetize your podcast entirely for free. End-to-end, -end, whatever you need. No more excuses. How do you get it? Where do you get Anchor? Go to the App Store, go to the Play Store, or go to anchor.fm. Whatever uh, whatever you use, whether it's a phone, a tablet, or a web website on your desktop, whatever you want to use, uh, we got it. There you go, folks. Anchor. Go to anchor.fm or search for Anchor in the Google Play Store or the App Store. Thank you for listening. See you next week.